Thank you for that wonderful music this morning. Take your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2. Before he gets away from the piano today, today is Kevin's birthday. Everybody give Kevin a big hand. Yeah, Kevin uh, is a wonderful blessing to our church, him and Kristen, and uh, serving in many ministry capacities, and we appreciate the two of them and and uh, their service to our church. The book of Genesis, chapter number two. Today I'm uh, continuing our series of messages on I Love Sundays. And uh, today I want to speak to you on the subject of Good Sundays. Last week we did Make Better Mondays. Today we're going to do Make Better Families. Good Sundays, Make Better Families. This morning I just want to... Um, Really, if you'll just bear with me over the next uh, uh, a little bit of time, I just really want to share my heart with you about the family and, and how I believe and, and the reason I believe that church is so important uh, to families. I believe with all my heart that uh, church is a place that you are and should uh, bring your family to, and it should be a place where you raise your children and uh, uh, where you are involved in and all those kind of things, because I believe with all my heart that, that good Sundays make better families. I believe with all my heart that, that the church is a place of refuge for your family. It's a place that, that we are to, again, raise our children and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, a place that uh, we're to come as a husband and wife, a place that we're to come as a single person, whatever category that you fall into today, um, I believe that, that God instituted uh, a male and female at the very beginning of the, of the uh, creation, and then God instituted families in Genesis chapter number two, as we'll see today, and uh, God is uh, in the midst of our families and should be, as a church, uh, uh, we should be, it should be a place for families and a place that we come and worship uh, together. I want to propose to you, as I've done every uh, Sunday during this series, that Sunday was meant to be the best day of your week, and families is one of the most important factors in our lives. And so, therefore, because of that, Sundays and church should coincide hand in hand with the family. A few months ago, this is very interesting, uh, in Time Magazine, in a Time Magazine issue, former President George Bush said this, our biggest national danger is the disintegration of the family. Our biggest national danger is the disintegration of the family. We have now gotten to the place in our lives where, where family and church do not uh, coexist anymore. As a matter of fact, they're two separate entities. We, uh, uh, we give, and please don't get mad at me when you leave here today. I'm only going to preach to you the truth. I promise it's not my proposal or my uh, ide ideology. I want to give it to you from the Word of God. But I, I'm, I'm struggling with the fact that in our day and time that we give people the choice, especially our children, of whether or not to attend church or whether or not to be involved in church, we, we allow it to be a choice that's made on Sunday mornings when we wake up. Are we going to go to church today? Is it something that we're going to be involved in? Listen, I believe with all my heart that God ordained and instituted the church and it's not a choice. I believe that. And I believe that the reason that our generations are falling apart and falling off the scene is because no longer are biblical values important. No longer is church important. Extracurricular activities have taken the place of the biblical mandate of the church. And because of that, we have families coming and speaking to pastors all across the nation wondering, why is my family falling apart? And the reason that our families are falling apart is because there's no biblical foundation. There's no big biblical basis. Why are my children no longer want to be in church? Because it wasn't ingrained in them that church was of necessity. It's not a choice. You see, in my home when I grew up, uh, uh, you may say, well, Pastor, that was back, you know, years ago. It wasn't that long ago, all right? But when I woke up on Sunday morning, the question wasn't or not, are we going to church? The question was, is what am I wearing to church? Are you with me? I mean, it wasn't a choice. 
It, was, it wasn't Saturday night. Hey, Dad, are we going to the ball game tomorrow? Are we going to church? I, I remember uh, uh, very much so. Uh, uh, my, I, as I got older, I wanted to go, uh, and, and the Jacksonville Jaguars showed up in town. I mean, it was the biggest thing that happened in Jacksonville, Florida, since uh, the St. John's River was, was put through. I'm telling you, it was huge. And I remember telling my dad, I want to go to the game. My dad would say, we can't go to the game. Why, dad, can't we go to the game? Because on Sunday, we go to church on Sunday. And uh, I said, well, dad, can we squeeze it in somehow? So I remember one Sunday, my dad said, all right, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to church and bring your clothes. We're going to change. And we're going to drive down and we'll get there about three quarters of the way through the first quarter. He said, but we have night church and we got to get the choir practice too. So we got to leave about right at the end of the third quarter. I'm not sure it's worth the money, Dad. He said, don't worry, they're free tickets. We'll have fun. I said, all right. Listen, our biggest national danger is the disintegration of the family. Listen, I believe that family, uh, families should worship together. We should serve together. It's something that we should do. Now, please don't get me wrong. If you went to the ball game last Sunday, I'm not mad at you about that, all right? But I, I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is that it's important that we figure out our priorities. It's info- important that we figure out where we're at in our lives Because what we do, listen to me very closely, what we do affects the next generation. I'm very concerned about that. Our families need a revival of the word of God and an awakening to, to God's spiritual truth. There is an awareness of a problem without an answer to the problem. The face, unfortunately, of America is changing today. And I believe the only way that we can get it back is by turning our families back to that which it was founded upon, which is the Word of God. Before us this morning is one of the most familiar texts in the Bible. This passage represents a sacred time in world history. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7, God created Adam, Adam, uh, Adam as a living soul. He created Adam out of the dust of the ground. And then we find uh, 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 in uh, Genesis chapter number 2, God communed with Adam in personal fellowship. They had a relationship with each other. It's the very inception of the human race. And then in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 22, God instituted the home. It was a pivotal time. Yes, I propose to you this morning without a doubt and a fact that God is in fact the creator and the inventor of the home. God not only established the Christian one, but he clearly defines the purpose of the home in the scriptures. Can I tell you something? You do not choose your family. They are God's gift to you as you are to them. If you have your Bibles and you're able to, would you stand with me? Genesis chapter number 2. We're just going to start reading in verse number 18. You know the, the verses, but today I want to take a, a different approach and, and maybe help us today as families, as God has laid this upon my heart. Genesis chapter number 2, starting in verse number 18. The Bible says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Verse number 19, and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. In verse number 22, the Bible says this. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse number 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Our Father in heaven, 
Lord, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. I pray that you'll bless the few moments that we have together. Lord, I pray that you'll help me and give me clarity of thought of the things that you've uh, uh, spoken to me about to share. And not only spoken to me about to share, but have ingrained in my own life. And so, God, I pray that you'll help me to relay that in such a way that every person that's here today will hear and understand the Holy Spirit of God. And, Lord, that you would help us to be different today because of the Word of God. Lord, we love you. But most of all, we thank you for loving us, for it's in your precious and holy Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of taking notes, uh, on the back of your bulletin this morning, there's an outline, and uh, you can follow along. Many companies from aerospace to healthcare have been formulating statements of purpose. You see them anywhere you go. But God gave the purpose simultaneously with the establishment of the home. And today I want to share with you what the purpose is of the family so that our Sundays, our, our, our better Sundays, can make better families. Number one, companionship. Companionship. The purpose of the family, number one, is companionship. The word companionship can be defined as a feeling of fellowship or friendship. The Lord desires that our families be one of uh, camaraderie. The Lord desires that our families be one of companionship. One that uh, is a a place of refuge and a place uh, that is wonderful to be. Listen to me today. Uh, uh, You should not, and and, and please again, don't get upset with me. I I have a real burden and passion about this and I just want to share it with you. But but listen to me, dads and, and husbands and men. It should not be a dread to come home from work. It should be something that we look forward to, to be able to come home and be with our families. Our workplace is not our life. Our life is within the confines of our home. That is where we find companionship. That is where we find fellowship. That is where we find friendship. And I want to tell you today, uh, uh, whether you're a, a young lady or a young man working in the, in the workforce, I would challenge you to, to remember this one thing when it comes to your husbands, your wives, your children, all those kind of things, that those people that you share your heart with are the people that you will fall in love with. So be careful who you share your heart with. Listen, the home should be one of camaraderie. It should be one that you want to be there and you want to be a part of it. A close examination of chapter 1 shows that everything God created was called good. You go back to the creation account. Everything that God created was called good. Someone once said, family is not an important thing. Family is everything. Family is everything. When God instituted the family, it was good. And it is still good today. Family is not just something that's on our priority list. It is everything uh, that has to do with us. Letter A, the spouse's friendship. The spouse's friendship, the, 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 the thoughts I'm giving you to you today are, are very simple-minded thoughts because that's the only way I can think. And so the spouse's friendship, what does it mean to have that friendship among, uh, among your spouse and, and, and of companionship? 1 Corinthians, I think, is the greatest uh, 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 pathway to teach us about how to love each other. Charity, or love, suffereth long and is kind. It envieth not. It is not jealous. It, it, it is very kind. It vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. Love is not prime. It doth not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own. It's not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. It rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the what? Truth. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. I love when God gives us an outline in the Bible. Do you see it? Love beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, and it endures all things. In verse 22, in our passage here in Genesis, we see the very first marriage ceremony in the Bible. And we see that Eve was chosen for Adam by who? By God. Eve was chosen for Adam by God. I believe that 
Uh, 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 marriage is a God-ordained um, event. I believe that it should be sacred. And I believe with all my heart that we should go into it with much prayer and, and trusting God, not only on that day that we say I do, but from every day going forward because it is instituted by God. Then we see the woman is called the helpmeet in uh, verse number 18. And she is to be the completer of her husband. I, I, I want to be very cautious here, but I'm going to be very forthright. We need to make sure that in our families that we have, because I believe with all my heart that God is the God of order, that we have our families in order. Are you with me? Uh, we see that the woman is called a help meet. He, God did not refer to the woman as dirt. Okay? God did not refer to the woman as under man. God referred to the woman as a help meet. However, who is she helping? She's helping her husband, who is supposed to be the man of the home. And so I want to tell you today that there is an order, but there's also, when you talk about companionship, and you talk about friendship, and you talk about the idea of a husband and a wife, they are to be the, she is the completer of him, which makes a team. It's a team. The last time I checked, those teams that work together win. Those teams that fight against one another, they do not win. So I would say that, that in this team concept, that, that we are complete with each other. She's taken from the side of man. Adam in the Hebrew, uh, uh, the word is ish. I can't say it in the Hebrew, but that's basically what it is. Even the Hebrew is Isha, which means that she is from man. They are complete in one another. Not only that, she is totally accepted by Adam. Do you see this in verse number 23? Look with me, because this is, this is a great thought. Verse number 23. And Adam said, I'm going to think about if she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. No. I'm going to decide Later on, if this is going to work out. No. He said, matter of fact, men, can I give you a little, little uh, uh, thought here? He didn't even have a choice. God just said, well, there she is. Now, I'm sure she was beautiful. And I'm sure that, that she made a great companion for Adam. Just as when God joins two people together, it's the same way. But Adam said this, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called, uh, be called woman because she was taken out of man. She was totally accepted by Adam. I can only imagine what that day was like. Eve was uh, created out of Adam, and when Adam woke up, because that was the first anesthetic in the Bible... In case you were wondering. Um, and uh, when Adam woke up, this is all he could say. Whoa, man. <laughs> and she got her name. Encouragement and acceptance are intended by God to be provided in each home. Here we see God values families. God's family values an action. This is it. Let her be the children's friendship. So we move from, from, from the, uh, the spouse's friendship to the children's friendship. Now I want to be very cautious here because you say, Pastor, I thought we were supposed to be parents and not friends. You know, I've thought about that statement many times. As a matter of fact, I was taught that growing up, you know, that you're, you're as a parent, you're not a friend to your child. You're their parent. Don't, don't become their friend. Well, the last time I checked, the, the true definition of a friend is one that is there no matter what. And when correction is in order for a friend, you're not afraid to give it. And so therefore, when we talk about this idea of having a friendship with our children, I, I want to have a godly friendship with my children, which involves all of the above of training them, teaching them, disciplining them. All of those things are involved with the friendship. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, mature, he will not depart from it. The training of a child is so important in our day and age. We need to train them to follow the Lord and be his light in a world full of darkness. We need to teach your children to be a light in a world full of darkness. I'm telling you right now, your children have a greater mission field than we could ever imagine within their schools. They have an influence to the next generation that we will never be able to touch. So we should train them to be a light in this dark world. Now, they have a responsibility too. And I believe that this is something that we need to institute in our homes. It's very clear. And the reason that we institute it in our homes is not for our own good and our own sake, but because it honors God and there's a promise associated with it. Look what it says. Children, and and by the way, children are children. Do you realize I am still a child? My mom likes to think so. No. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? That's very clear to me. Are you with me? It's very clear. For this is right. Then it says this. Honor thy father and thy mother. And I love this. Which is the first commandment with promise. Why do we obey and why do we honor? Why should I teach my children to obey and why should I teach them to honor? Because if you don't, you're doing your children an injustice. As a matter of fact, not only are you doing them an injustice, you are robbing them of a blessing. If you do not teach your children to obey and you do not teach your children to honor, that it may be well with thee, have a good life, Not every life is going to be easy, but he says that it may be well with thee. And look what it says. And thou mayest live long on the earth. How does that happen? By teaching our children to obey and teaching our children to honor. When I was growing up, um, I did the same as what happens here. Our youth sit on this side of the church and their little group. And my mom and dad sat about halfway back. And my mom would sit back there, and I would be in church, and I would do this. 13, 14 years old, I'd lean over and go, to my friend. And this is what my mom would do. I was sitting way over here. She was sitting way over here. I could catch her clearing her throat if somebody was having a coughing spell. Because clearing her throat meant when I get home, my dad was going to clear something else. I did not want my mom clearing her throat. Do you know to this day, I can stand in this pulpit, she can sit right there, and I can be preaching, and my mom will go, and I'll go. (laughs) That is the honest truth. That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And then it says this, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. But bring, look, this is a fatherly moment. But bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We have a responsibility. We should love our children so much, listen to me this morning, that we are willing to discipline and guide them into the truths of the word of God. Because as you see here, there is a huge blessing in honor and in obedience. Someone said this, the strength of a man is in his character. A strong man is a great man of wisdom who understands his top priority is to his family. It's to his family. Number two is completion. This is the point I'm most excited about today because I I really was preparing this message and I, I had this point, and this is the honest truth. This morning, I got here at about 6.15, maybe 6.30, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I was sitting down, and I was studying, and all of a sudden, God changed this whole point. And I began to sit, and I literally, I started crying when I started thinking about this thought of completion I've always thought about completion as being this. The day 
that I said I'd do to my wife, the day that we had our children, when it came to my wife, completion was to say, hey, we are here and now we complete each other. And as I was sitting and praying this morning, God changed that whole thought in my mind. And I, I almost had an, a, an epiphany, and a, a moment of like, wow, I've never thought about it like that. In defining the word completion, we see that it is a, the action or process of finishing something. It's the act or process of finishing something is the definition of completion. But then I got to thinking, and you'll have to apologize, uh, I'll have to apologize to you for a moment, but I spent the day, part of the day yesterday, watching many college football games. I'm not going to talk about them, I promise. But as I was sitting there last night and this morning, whenever this completion thought came to my mind, it literally changed everything in my thought process when it comes to the idea of marriage. Watch this. I I want to propose that the word completion, I want to use it as a football term. I think that completion is an evolving term in marriage like football. A completion in football is a successful forward pass. Much like completion is moving forward successfully in your marriage. In other words, when we made our commitment one to another on our wedding days, that was just the opening kickoff. And in order to be successful, we must work toward completing the passes that are thrown to us. That is what completion in marriage is. You know, sometimes we face circumstances in our life, and you have to excuse the football analogy, but that is just what what really honed in on me. Sometimes we end up getting sacked. And we lose yardage. Right? But then what do we have to do? We have to get in the shotgun stance and throw for the glory. And hope the pass gets completed. And if we're working together as a team, if we're on the same page, when we complete it, we have now moved forward. And that's what completion is in our marriage, in raising our children. It's that we're just taking one pass at a time. We're doing one thing at a time. And if we get sacked, it's okay. Just get up and hike the ball again. Don't throw in the towel. Right? Just get up and try again. In order for a husband and wife to experience spiritual completion, I want you to notice, first of all, you have to leave. Now, I know that all of your life you've probably heard, it's leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. You know, you get married and you leave your home and you cleave to your spouse. That's great. That is true. There is a leaving and a cleaving action. It means literally severing or loosening. But I think we miss a key component. And today, th- this is really heavy on my heart. And I, If you don't get anything else out of this message, I really want you to get this. I, I think we miss the boat. Because what we do is this. Just like I did. My wife and I, we got married. We pulled out of that driveway in Warren, Michigan, and we drove, and she left her family behind. And now, you know, after a few years, we we both left our families, and we've left and we've cleft. Right? But I think a lot of times in marriage, the physical aspect of it is not as important as the emotional aspect of it. We must not merely leave physically, but we must leave those traditions which are counterproductive to our marriage. We must leave things that have always been, this is the way we do it. My mom never did it that way. Right? Are you with me? So many times we take that leaving and cleaving as a physical thing. But I think 
the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes, and in a lot of cases, as we get married to one another, it's time that we start all over again. It's time that we, we have new traditions. It's time that we, we begin new uh, eras in our life that are not counterproductive to each other. Brethren, uh, Philippians 3.13, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into the things which are before. In order to have completion in our relationships, we must be willing to leave negative traditions. Let me propose to you just a few ways that we can help, that can help us in leaving these negative traditions. First of all, identify negative family traditions in your lives. These are unresolved past uh, uh, experiences, because if you're not careful, they will become active in the present. Some of you here this morning did not have a good upbringing. Some of you here this morning, uh, 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 your moms or your dads or whatever the case might be, uh, uh, did not love you as God, as an example of, uh, of God loving the church. Some of you grew up this morning, uh, and, and some of you are, 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 uh, actually were removed completely from your families, and you were brought into a whole new family. And, and if you're not careful, what can happen is when we get married to one another, and we begin to date other people, and we begin to get involved, negative family traditions seem to seep into our relationship. And if you're not careful, if we don't resolve our past, it will become active in our present. I would tell you this morning that it is, it is of utmost importance, uh, 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 no matter if you're married, not married, you're a young person, you're not even thinking about marriage, the truth of the matter is, is that we must deal with unresol- our unresolved past in order to make progress in our relationships. So identify the negative family traditions. Secondly of all, we have to refocus. The question proposes itself is, how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered as just another part of your family? I'm going to be very cautious here, but I am going to say it. My family came from two totally different backgrounds. Many of you know that my mom and dad were both divorced and uh, I, my brothers and sisters are, are stepbrothers and sisters, and then they married each other, and I'm the only one between the two of them. I don't consider my brothers and sisters step, I consider them family, but that's the type of situation that we grew up in. My dad's side of the family, my grandmother and grandfather and his brothers, uh, wonderful, godly people, they all go to church, all encouraged, everything. My mother's side of the family, wow, totally different. Totally different. My mom, though, decided to make a choice. Her choice was, do I continue in the family tradition? Or do I change it? Now look at me this morning, because I really want you to get this. You have no reason to blame your present on your past. We have no reason to say, well, because my mom and dad were that way, that's just the way I am. No. The Bible says that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that we all make the choices in our life. We all decide what we're going to do. And I want to tell you this morning that, that within your marriage relationship or your, your, your uh, possible marriage relationship or, or whatever the case might be in your life, that if you were going to have a relationship with one another, you've got to figure out how is it that I want to be remembered. I've got to refocus. Thirdly of all, you have to take responsibility without blaming. Take responsibility without blaming. I cannot, as I just mentioned a moment ago, I cannot blame my present on my past. Because if we did, we would all be in trouble, and probably none of us would be here. You know, I raised my children differently than how my mom and dad raised us. Did my mom and dad raise us wrong? No. They didn't. We just have a different method that we use as a family. And we could probably all sit here and say the same things, that, that there are things that we do not do that our family did. But hopefully what we've done is we've learned and we've made it better. 
So that when our children come along and they get married, what they've done is they've improved on what we've done. And then they improve on what they've done. And then they improve and they improve. And, 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 and we don't begin a decline, but rather we begin an improvement of generations. Listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I graduated high school, you say, Pastor, you're being real personal this morning. I am because this is really, really heavy on my heart. When I graduated from high school, my, my parents said to me, this is what they said to me. They said, you have two choices. I said, great, what are my two choices? You go to Bible college or you move out? You have three months to decide. Huh. Um, are you going to pay for Bible? Yes. But you got to get a job, okay. And I can still come home and eat holiday dinner, right? Yep. All right, I'll go to Bible college. All right. They said, now, you spend a year there and then you decide what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Yes, ma'am. I went off to Bible college. Had I not been challenged to do that, the most beautiful in the woman, woman in the world would never have met me. Because I met her there. You say, Pastor, are you telling me that we should force our children to do things? No. My parents didn't force me. They guided me. There is a huge difference. They guided me. They gave me a choice. It was my choice. And they guided me to help me in my life. Listen, don't be afraid to guide your children to help them get to the place that they need to be so that they're not regretting for the rest of their lives. Take responsibility without blaming. And fourthly, and I think this is very important, find a godly role model. Find a godly role model. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? There, there are women and men in this church and in other places in your life that have lived out what I'm talking about. Cling to them. Grab a hold of them and allow them to help you as you face this in your lives. Number two, or letter B, cleaving. It's commitment. It's commitment. I, I wish I had more time. Commitment is something that is so non-existent today that it concerns me. It really does. Our levels of commitment are declining. They are not increasing. The Bible says, Matthew 19, verse 6, Wherefore there are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God had joined together, let no man put us under. Commitment is a difficult term these days. However, it is a needed term. We need to be fully committed to our families and to each other. Commitment that goes beyond anything that we can explain that says, you know what? I'm committed today. I'm committed tomorrow. I'm committed for the rest of my life. And there is absolutely nothing that can change that. Commitment. Winston Churchill, I love this. He wrote uh, uh, of the days when the citizens were crying, surrender, surrender. He said, wars are not won by evacuation. Wars are not won by evacuation. And I'm telling you, that is the truth. Now you say, Pastor, I'm here today and I, part of my life has fallen apart in this area. Can I tell you something? Here's the honest truth. God knows where you are today. He knows where you're at today. You say, Pastor, you're preaching hard about commitment. You're preaching hard about staying together. You're preaching hard about the family and marriage and all those kind of things. And Pastor, I, I, at one point in my life, it kind of just dissolved out from underneath me. It kind of fell apart. What does God say about all that? God says this. One, he doesn't make any mistakes. And two, he's begging you not to make the same mistake. It is a matter of saying today, there is absolutely nothing I can do about yesterday, but I can do everything about today and tomorrow. 
I can decide today that, that, that I'm not going to give up. I'm not, I'm going to be the man or the woman that God has instituted me to be for my family. And I'm going to be who I'm supposed to be today and from here on, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing toward the mark. That's who I'm going to be. God is, I don't believe, I believe this on my heart. God does not put anyone on the shelf. We put ourselves there. God doesn't put anyone on a shelf. We put ourselves there. God wants to use us in spite of us, in spite of our circumstances, and in spite of our past. We have to be committed. Let us see weaving, becoming one flesh. Becoming one flesh. Listen, being a team, doing this thing together, working together. There is something to be said for so many couples that have bonded through the years and have endured obstacles and tribulations together. There is an amazing bond that cannot be broken. Number three, and I'm done, Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. The prescription for the family. Thirdly is Christ-likeness. A godly family is a living picture of Christ and his bride, the church. A reflection of his love. Listen, I... I think family should, in, in fact, be that, a reflection of the love of Jesus Christ. Don't miss opportunities to express your love to your spouse, to your children, and to your parents. Look at me right here. Look at me. Right here. Right here, right here, right here. It's okay to tell your children that you love them. It's okay to embarrass them and give them a huge hug and a kiss in the middle of all their friends. Amen. Yeah, that's okay. You say, Pastor, do you remember when you were that age? I do. And I remember my mom doing it. And now I'm preaching about it. So it must have worked. It's okay to verbalize to your spouse that you love them. Are you with me? It's okay to verbalize to your parents that you love them. It's okay to give them a hug. It's okay to kiss them on the cheek. It's okay to bond uh, uh, together as a family because that is the reflection of who God is. I really believe this with all my heart and, and, and don't think I've jumped off the deep end, not yet. But I think if we could really pull back the portals of the spiritual world, I think there are moments where we could literally feel the hands of God wrapping around us and hugging us and drawing us close to him. Because I believe with all my heart we've all been at places like that. You say, Pastor, my, my son or my daughter, they, they, they really don't want that. They really do. The two greatest needs of everyone in this building is to be loved and to be accepted. To be loved and to be accepted. It's the greatest need of your spouse to be loved and accepted just as they are. Just the way God made them. Loved and accepted. It's, it's the two greatest needs of your children to love and accept them just the way that they are. Because God made them that way. To love your parents just the way that they are. Listen, don't miss those opportunities. An elderly lady who lost her husband was looking over her beautiful chinaware that she had never used. And she was weeping. She said this, I'm saving my good china for special company. And now I realize my husband was the best company I ever had. The moral of the story is this. Don't fall in love with your possessions. Love each other and use your good china before it's too late. Listen, your family is the greatest asset that you have in your life. Letter B, and I'm done. The reflection of his commitment. A reflection of his commitment. 
Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with you. He will not fail thee, and he will not forsake thee. Be committed one to another as a family, as Christ is committed to you. Do not allow things and people to interfere with your family or your family time. Your family and your love must be cultivated like a garden. Time, effort, and imagination must be summoned constantly to keep any relationship flourishing and growing. Today, my prayer is this, is that our Sundays or our relationship with God, maybe better stated, will will help us to make better families. Can I tell you something this morning? And this is a hard pill for me to swallow. People are watching us. People are watching our families. People are looking at us as an example. To to, to say, is this the way? Is that the right way? What is it that's different about their way than my way? And the one thing that should be different is that in the center of our family is God himself. Look at me, church. Don't move God from the center. This is what we have a tendency to do. Oh, I have some more important things. Let me move him right over here. He's still there, but I just need to move him for a little bit. And do you know what happens? We fail to move him back because everything piles up. Here's what I tell you today. God has got to be in the center of our families 24 hours a day, seven days a week if we're going to be successful as families. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thank you so much for listening so well. I know that even for me, to be honest with you, it's a very difficult sermon. It brought me to a place in my own life where I needed to take a double check. I needed to say, God is... Christ really in the center of my home? Don't get me wrong in what I'm about to say. But I literally ask God, is God in the center of my home or is church? That's what it is for me. That's what I have to contend with. Because that's what I do. Now you have to say, is Christ in the center of my home or are these extracurricular things or is my job or is this over here what is the center of my home if I had to ask my children what's the center of my home what would they say would they say it's God or would they say it's activity and I would tell you this as I heard a basketball coach one time say And he was relating it to basketball, but I'm going to relate it to church. If Christ is not in the center of your life, then it's activity without accomplishment. All it is is activity. And there is no accomplishment if Christ is not in the center of our homes. Could I ask you this morning, in the very quietness of this hour, Where are you at with your family? We'll start with our parents. Where are we at with our parents? How do we treat them? And I'm not just talking about our young people. I'm talking about all of us if our parents are still living. How are we treating them? How do we care for them? Are we expressing our love and devotion to them? Then I would take that to the next level about your spouse. 
please don't get me wrong in what I'm about to say, but are you just living together? Or do you have a relationship? Then I would say, what about your children? Are you expressing your love? Are you showing them who Jesus Christ really is? Are you telling them and instructing them in the things that God would have for you and your family? Or has Christ been moved from the center and something else has replaced him? He's still there. Or you wouldn't be here. But is he in the center of your life? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray. When I'm done praying, Pastor Parker's going to begin to sing. And we're not going to... We're just going to keep our head bowed, bowed and our eyes closed. And I want you to have a moment, if you would desire, with God. You can do it right there in your pew. You can do it at this altar, wherever you desire. But if God spoke to your heart about something this morning, please don't quench him. Allow him to do his work. Maybe you need to come with your husband or your wife. Maybe you need to come with your son or your daughter. Maybe you need to come individually. Whatever the case might be. Where is your heart and your life at today in relation with Jesus Christ? You say, Pastor, I'm single here today. Listen to me, single person. Is Christ in the center or have you moved him? It's the same. It's the same. Whatever your need is today, do business with God. If you're here today and you've been visiting our church, and you say, Pastor, I'd like to join today. I want you to know our doors are open, and after I'm done praying, you can come. Whatever your need is today, God wants to meet you right where you're at. Father, we love you. Bless this invitation as only you can. Lord, thank you in advance for what you've done in my heart and in my life. Lord, and I pray that it was relayed in such a way that as you burdened it to me, as I attempted to share it with those that are here, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God took the muddiness of my voice and twisted it in such a way that made it perfectly clear so that the Holy Spirit of God could speak as only he could. Lord, bless this invitation.